Turn with me to Matthew 13. And we're going to read verses 1 to 9 and then 18 to 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they didn't have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. So to bring you up to speed of where we're at, we're, we're in a series looking at the kingdom of God in the book of Matthew. At this point in the book of Matthew, Jesus has proclaimed that the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is among us. And then later on, he taught about what life in that kingdom was like. That was what we saw in the Beatitudes in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. And then Jesus talked about who they are that are going to inherit the kingdom, what those kind of people are like. And this installment of the series is the third of five speeches that Jesus makes in the book of Matthew. There's five main sermons that we get in Matthew and the talks that we've given focused on his first great sermon, which is the Sermon on the Mount, his best known sermon. The second speech that we see in the book of Matthew is in chapter 10. And this is where Jesus calls his disciples together and he sends them out to go proclaim the news of this kingdom all around the, the country of, of Judea and Galilee. So that's chapter 10. It's, it's always useful to put what you're reading into the context of the whole story. Where does this fall in the story? And what we see in chapter 12 is that now that Jesus has started proclaiming this and he sent the, the disciples out to proclaim it, they're beginning to take notice in the religious authorities of what he's saying and they don't like it. 
In fact, they're challenging him. They're saying, this Jesus, I don't like the way he operates. He's going around preaching all this stuff and condemning what we say and what we do. And he's going around healing people. And he's doing it when people are supposed to be at church and doing holy stuff. Jesus is out healing people. What a challenge to our authority. And so Jesus was beginning to meet some pretty head-on opposition. And they were accusing him of actually being of the devil. And so, whereas in, the, in those first two speeches, Jesus taught pretty straightforwardly. He didn't tell stories. He was preaching directly. But now when he meets opposition, halfway through the book, so this is, this is pretty much the halfway point in the book of Matthew, we see that Jesus adopts this new approach to how he's going to teach. And he begins to use this method of telling parables. And this is what we see Jesus doing through much of the rest of the the book. And parables are short stories taken from examples of everyday life that are intended to bring across a spiritual truth. Now, there'd been other teachers that used parables before. Jesus didn't invent parables, but Jesus really did make them his own. Jesus is the best known parable teacher of all history the most memorable, the most powerful, life-changing parables in the simplest of stories, the simplest of examples. And so this was Jesus' genius in his teaching. But why did he begin to teach this way? Why does he begin to use parables? Now, a lot of times people think that Jesus used parables because he was talking to peasants. He was talking to simple, uneducated people. Even the disciples were just fishermen. And so he uses these simple stories to get across his point in a way that they can understand. Now, I think that is partly the case. Jesus is using examples from everyday life so that people can relate, so they can understand the examples that he's talking about. But I don't think it's the whole story. Because all you have to do is look at the way people reacted to his parables to see that they clearly must not have been intended just for the purpose of clarity because people often had no idea what he was talking about. The disciples here, just after what we read, asked Jesus, well, Jesus, what what was that story about? And then he explains it in verse 18. So it was partly to make it simple, but that wasn't the whole picture. In fact, what we see when the disciples ask, why do you use parables? Jesus responds by saying that his parables are actually a way of dividing his listeners. Parables are actually a way that Jesus uses to make it clear to some people and unclear to other people. He says in verses 10 and 10 to 13, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables to the, to the crowd? And Jesus answered to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given for to the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now, Timon on Friday night in Matthew 7 dealt with some very tough words of Jesus. Words that are hard to take, hard to stomach and understand. These are also some hard words of Jesus that are hard to understand. Wait, what are you saying, Jesus? You're you're intentionally teaching in such a way 
so that some people will understand and other people won't? What is that about? Jesus's parables are not just cute stories. They're not children's fables. Jesus's parables are actually a form of judgment. They're designed to conceal or reveal an understanding of God based on the state of the listener's heart. Jesus' parables are a judgment. They're meant to be concealing God's truth or revealing God's truth, depending on who's listening and the state of that person's heart. For the people that thought they knew it all, for the people that thought they had it all together, they would hear Jesus' parables and think, ah, bunch of kids stuff. Let's get to the real meat, Jesus. I already know all that. Let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount where you do the real teaching. Leave these stories for the simple ones and the kids. For those kinds of people, the parables concealed the truth. They thought it was beneath them. And so they're looking up here and they don't see what it actually sang to them. And so the parables for those kind of people didn't bring any kind of change. But for those who were willing to come down and listen and sit at Jesus' feet with an honest and soft heart, the parables revealed the secrets of the kingdom. Now, this particular parable, the sower, or the, or the four soils, maybe better put, is quite an important parable. It's the first parable that Jesus gives. You can almost take it as the, he's setting the scene for all his other parables. So there's something important here that Jesus is giving us that Matthew is laying out for us that will help us understand all the rest of the parables that will come. This is actually one of only three parables that is included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is an important parable. And Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee, and this is a place that today, if you go to Israel, I'm told, you can, you can go, and it's called the, the Cove of Parables. The place where they thought he taught was a natural amphitheater. They think it would have carried his voice up to 100 meters as he was teaching. So there could have been thousands of people there, and, and Matthew says there were great crowds. But the question that confronts the crowd as they listen to Jesus is, who is Jesus. Is he just a miracle worker? Or is he just an exciting speaker or, or a controversial figure? You know, the Donald Trump of, of first century Palestine, ruffling a few political feathers so everyone goes out to listen to him? Or is he the teacher? Now, the usual way for a, a rabbi, a respected teacher to teach would be in, in, a, in a sitting position. You see that even in uh, Eastern religions today, that the Buddha sits, doesn't he? Um, because he's teacher. And so Jesus is sitting down as a teacher. And the question to the crowd is, is he your teacher? Or are you his teacher? When Jesus tells you something, do you subject his words to your judgment? Or do you subject your judgment to his words? Do you judge what Jesus says or do you allow what Jesus says to judge what you think? I think this is what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 1.18 where it says, The word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. 
The same word of the cross, the same seed goes out. But to some people, they're words of life, and to some people, they're words of judgment. One cross, but how you look at it affects the result of, of, of its work in your life. That word of the cross is the same message to everybody, and that's what the seed represents. That's what the sower is sowing. Matthew calls it the word of the kingdom, the message of the gospel. There's only one seed. There's not different types of seeds getting sown. It's one seed for everybody. Equal opportunity seed. But the difference in, in how the seed affects you is all about how you hear. This passage, when you get down to the core of it, it's all about listening. And I think Jesus is doing two things. First of all, He's already explained what the kingdom is like, who's going to get the kingdom. Now he's explaining how the kingdom propagates itself, how the kingdom, just like a flower uh, or, or a plant propagates itself, it reproduces by the seed. Jesus is saying, this is how the kingdom reproduces itself and extends itself like a seed. He's letting his preachers know, his disciples and on down to us, because Jesus gave us the great commission, go out and spread this word of the kingdom. He's letting his sowers, we are now the sowers, he's letting the sowers know what they should expect as they sow. Jesus is saying, this kingdom, the way this kingdom extends, is completely unlike any other kind of kingdom. Jesus, it is true that Jesus takes examples from, from everyday life, common things that peasants and farmers from those times would know and understand. But the, part of the reason why he takes those simple common examples is to completely turn them on their head. Jesus never leaves a, a, a commonly understood idea perfectly as it is standing. He always flips it around and subverts it to show that the kingdom is absolutely counterintuitive to our human understanding. God's kingdom doesn't work like man's kingdom. Now, if you were Jesus's original listeners, they would have been following Jesus's story because he's talking about, about agriculture, the thing that most of them would have done day in, day out. And so they're following him with their own understanding. And the story, imagine you're just hearing it for the first time. The story gets progressively worse and worse. The sower goes out and he's spreading his seed and it's failure after failure after failure. It hits the, the hard ground, nothing. It hits the rocky ground a little bit and then it dies. It hits the, the, the thorny ground and it grows and it's promising and then it dies. And so they're expecting that the end of the story is going to be a disaster. What a foolish sower going out and wasting all his seed on all these uh, rubbish patches of land. Surely this crop is going to fail and this, the sower is going to be judged. That's probably what they would have been expecting. Be careful with your seed. Don't be wasteful. But Jesus gets to the end of the story and he completely flips around the expectation. Jesus himself is the sower. We learn that in the next parable that he tells. Jesus is, is the sower. And Jesus, unlike a normal farmer, he's not just looking for the best patches of ground and careful where he sows his seed. Jesus is absolutely generous. He's absolutely reckless. He's throwing his seed everywhere as far as he can throw it. 
The seed, he wants it to get out there and be spread as far as it can be. And so the message for the sowers today, for the preachers today, for us as Christians today is spread the word liberally. Get the seed out there. Sow it everywhere. But what should we expect as the result? What should the disciples have been expecting? Well, the reality is much of that seed, as generously as we sow it, much of that seed fails and doesn't produce fruit. Some listeners are hard. Some spring up and then wither quickly. Others endure for a while and then they fade slowly. And at face value, it's almost a little bit depressing. Jesus, you're saying only, at best, only one in four people is going to have any outcome from this? That seems utterly depressing. (laughs) And sometimes it can feel utterly depressing when you're out there trying to do the work and, and trying to tell people this good news. And so very few respond. But Jesus is saying, when you get to the end of the story, don't just trust in the immediate results. Don't just trust in hands raised in response to an altar call or knees bent at the front of the room. Don't just trust in that. Don't trust the fruit that you can just see immediately. The work is not in vain. Why? Because God is the one who causes the growth. Paul, the apostle Paul was the first and and one of the greatest missionaries in history. He certainly did obey that command, go out and spread the seed as generously as you can. He went out to the, the furthest parts of the Roman world. And Paul said, I planted the seed. Another teacher, Apollos, watered it. But God gave the growth. The work is not in vain. And we don't know what part of the process we're coming into Our responsibility is not causing the growth. Our responsibility is sowing the seed and trusting God to bring the growth. That's the responsibility of the the preachers. And and the, the incredible thing is when you get to the end of the story, the part which does, the one in four, the part that does receive the word as a as a fruitful seed bed makes up for all the three other parts that don't. Thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. Now a good harvest in those days would have been tenfold. A really a, de- a pretty decent harvest would be fifteenfold. Jesus is saying, even the best that you can hope for, double it, triple it, quadruple it. That's the kind of growth that I'm going to give. So that's the first thing that Jesus is doing. But the second thing that he's doing, I think he's not primarily actually talking about the sower. The sower he mentions once, and that's it. He's not primarily talking about preaching, about the act of sowing, Jesus is focusing on the act of listening. He's focusing on the skill of hearing. You know, there's plenty of other places in the Bible where the responsibilities of the preacher are focused on. It's not as if preachers can just say whatever they want and, oh, it's up to you just to understand it. You know, the preacher has to do their best to present the gospel convincingly and powerfully and and passionately. But that's not what Jesus is emphasizing here. He's emphasizing that hearing is also a skill. The seed takes care of itself. The seed, Jesus is saying, this gospel, the message of the kingdom, it's always active. It always does something. It's either judging the bad soil that refuses to produce the fruit when it's planted 
or it's producing an incredible harvest in the good soil. But the difference, so the, the seed is always good. The seed is always active and powerful. The difference is in the soil. The difference is how we listen to the message. What do we learn about the kingdom here? Well, the kingdom is not like any other kingdom. God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is not like a human kingdom. Because human kingdoms, how do they reproduce? How do they extend? By force. By, by uh, force of character or uh, ability to argue well or negotiate well or just pure violence. A human kingdom extends by force, by coercion. And so human kingdoms are unmissable. You could not miss Genghis Khan's kingdom. You couldn't miss it. Because there's only two types of people in Genghis Khan's kingdom. Those that submitted to him, and they knew very well they were in the kingdom, and those that were dead. That's it. You can't miss it. That's the way a human kingdom is. But God says, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is easily missed. It easily goes by unnoticed because it advances, it propagates itself, not by imposing itself by force on people, but it extends by listening. You have to listen out for it and you have to listen into it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Human kingdoms are about making slaves who obey because of force. God's kingdom is about making sons who obey because of love. He's not only trying to win our obedience, he's trying to win our hearts. And so the message to us is, take care how you listen. Actually, in the way that Luke tells this parable, that's the way he ends it. He says, be careful how you listen. The seed is available to everybody, but listening is not equal opportunity. Jesus, so often through the Gospels, he repeats the fact that those that think they have it, those that, that are, they're, they're just fine with what they've got. Jesus says, have you really gotten it? Have you really listened? Have you really understood? Not everybody who comes and says, Lord, Lord, and thinks they have it sorted, has it sorted. Take care how you listen. Examine yourself. And so this parable describes four types of listeners. And Jesus is not giving us a set of criteria that we can use to judge other people primarily. He's mainly pointing at us and saying, you individually, if you have ears, listen carefully. Don't listen for somebody else and think, oh yeah, I know someone just like that. Look at your own heart. Because it's you that needs to stand before God and you're accountable for what you've heard. And so this is all about hearing. Jesus says, if you have ears, listen up. Or he's saying, are you listening? How are you listening? So there's four types of soils. And thankfully, Jesus interprets the parable himself and he says, these four types of soil represent four types of listeners and their reactions to the message of the kingdom. There's three soils that receive the seed, but don't produce fruit. And there's one soil that receives the seed and does produce fruit. And you could spend 
just like any of these verses that we're looking at in this series, you could spend an entire sermon looking at just one of those types of soil and expanding it out and looking at all the implications and the kind of person that it's painting. But I want to give an overview of all four. And I think these soils present different tests. The first three soils are the types of tests where the enemy tries to prevent the growth of fruit. That's the enemy's ultimate purpose for anyone that might receive the seed. The enemy wants to do everything that he can to stop that seed from actually coming to fruition. And so there's four types of listeners. The first one is what this story describes as the hard soil, the path. You could call this the careless listener. Now, this seed falls on this tough and beaten path. These are the paths that would go through the, the fields that were trodden down by lots of walking on them, and they were hard. They couldn't, the seed didn't get buried in the soil. The seed just laid on top of the soil. And so it's an immediate failure. The seed doesn't even really have a chance. And so this is actually the first tactic that the enemy wants to use in your life is that when the word of God is coming out, he wants you to be distracted. He wants you to just be kind of just looking around and not paying attention. And so the seed is left exposed and it says the birds come in and devour it. And that word devour, this is, this is, it's really malicious because that word devour, it means utterly destroy. He doesn't want a trace of that word anywhere near you. And so when we're, when we come to the Bible, when we come to, to church and we're finding it hard to concentrate, it's not always just boredom. There's also a person out there who does not want you to get this. He doesn't want you to receive it. And so there's an element of spiritual warfare going on whenever the word is being spoken. But it's not only the birds that are to blame, but it's the soil itself. The ground is so hard that the seed doesn't even have a chance to take root. And one way you could describe this is, it's, it's a test of the mind. This is listening to the word of God only with your intellect, only with your head. It's the kind of listening that can't really be bothered to listen because it thinks it already knows it all. Yeah, I know that. I've got it sorted. And what, Jesus? It's the kind of listening that can't be bothered because it thinks it knows it already. How can you be taught? How can you learn when you think you already have it all sorted? Jesus can't be your teacher if you think you already know everything that he has to teach you. I think of times in my life where I've, I don't know, learning a new skill. And once or twice there's been a moment where I've realized, I actually know more than this person about this. And so I kind of suffer along with it, you know, like, oh, yeah, oh, acting like I'm surprised and learning when really my brain's totally switched off. Because I know more than you. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Maybe it's just pride. But whether it's true or not, sometimes you really do know more than the person. Sometimes you, you think you do and you don't. But either way, you stop listening, right? You stop learning. And whenever you think that you know more than Jesus, Jesus, you're being unrealistic. How could I possibly forgive that guy after what he did to me? You must mean something else. I know more than Jesus. I refuse to learn from him. He has ceased to be my teacher. He's become more of like uh, an assistant. So that kind of person 
shows that they don't really understand. When we're in that place, we actually end up despising his teaching because we treat it with less value than we should. And we lose it immediately and we lose it without regret. And that's what Jesus, I think, is talking about in chapter 6 when he says, don't throw your pearls to swine. And Luke actually says, uh, the seed gets trampled underfoot, which is the same thing that the, the pigs do to the pearls. They trample them underfoot. The pigs are the ones that think they know it already. And so they don't treat the pearls with the value that they should be treated with. And they despise them. They just trample them. So this is... This is the kind of hardness in our listening that doesn't let the word penetrate our hearts. It it blocks the word here without letting it sink into our being. It's listening only with the intellect. It's listening only with our, our brains and never letting that warm our hearts. Never letting that affect us personally. It's keeping the word of God as a theory rather than a personal encounter that's living. The word, the seed, has to have a personal penetration into our hearts. And if we've attended church for years and and listened to the word over and over again, and it's always just remained a theory. Yeah, I, I get it all. I understand it all. But it's still somewhere out here floating in the philosophy cloud Unless the word has come into my heart and I've felt that sense of awakening, a sense of thrill and amazement before God, then the word is just a theory. It hasn't actually penetrated my heart. If if the soil is so heavily trodden and so hard, then it can't penetrate our hearts. Then what we need to happen is to be plowed up. The soil needs to be torn up so that the seed can actually reach deeper. So we have to let the word affect us personally. So that's the the hard soil. But then we come to the the rocky soil. This is a different type of listener. This is a listener who's not kind of hard and rejecting it. But this is a person who hears the word and they're excited. They receive it with joy. It does warm their hearts. It gives them an excitement. And they even show a lot of enthusiasm. And they grow very quickly. It kind of springs up very quickly. But Jesus says they can't ultimately take the heat. As soon as the the, the midday sun comes up and that little shoot sprouts out of the ground, it gets scorched. It gets burned by the sun. Why? Because there's no depth to the soil. It says he has no root in himself. Luke says it's because he lacks moisture, that person. It's talking about kind of a a hard bedrock of ground and just this thin layer of soil over top that because that soil is so thin, it's it's warm in the sun. And and so it's a great condition for the thing to, to sprout up, but there's no depth to be able to put down roots. And if there's no roots, it can't withstand the sun. Actually, if there are roots, the sun is exactly what it needs to grow. But without the roots, the sun burns it up. So this is the second tactic of the devil. The first one is to just distract you so you don't even get it. The second one is that when you receive the word and you're happy about it, is to hit you with hard times, hit you with a challenge to convince you that it's not really worth the trouble. Well, if this is what it is, it's not worth it. And so that's, can almost guarantee any, any would be Christian. When you become a Christian, the devil's going to try and do this to you. He's going to throw some challenge at you. Eventually, 
that will make you question, do I think this is worth it or not? So that's the second tactic, but it's also, again, it's, never, it's not only the devil, but it's the, it's the soil's fault as well. Because this is the kind of soil, this is the kind of listening, which is listening out for what it wants to hear. This is the kind of listening which says, this looks like a good deal. Looks like a lot of benefits to this. But as soon as the going gets tough, it abandons it just as quickly as it took it because it was only about the benefits. It was only about the, the, the blessings. And as soon as something is lost, now my, my heart kind of hurts when I, when I preach this because I, I can picture people. I've seen this so often. This, this kind of exuberant, enthusiastic joy of the word. And then a challenge comes along and it's like, forget that. Sometimes literally the next day, and as soon as something gets lost, it's like, well, what use is Jesus? And, and actually the King James is, is really accurate to the Greek here because it says this person doesn't only fall away. It says this person takes offense. This person gets offended because the Greek word is scandalizo, scandalized. This person is happy when, when everything seems great with God, but as soon as something difficult comes along, he gets offended at God, scandalized that God could possibly treat that person that way. How dare you let me go through this, Jesus? And so what that reveals in the listener, what it reveals in that type of soil is that it was really all about Jesus joining their kingdom. Jesus, I invite you into my kingdom because I see the benefits that your citizenship in my kingdom will bring me. But as soon as there's a challenge, we kick Jesus out. It's, it's Jesus joining our kingdom rather than us joining his kingdom. What that kind of soil wants is a blesser, not a savior. It wants a sugar daddy, not a king. It wants a friend with benefits, not a wife. Totally different thing. And when those things, whatever that thing is, very often it's, it's relationships. God, I thought you were going to get me a wife or a husband. First one I thought doesn't come along. Oh, well, forget this, God. What happens when that thing gets taken away is it reveals what we really worship. What you worship is your end goal. It's what you are ultimately trying to get out of life. If that thing gets taken away and you abandon God, well, it shows you God wasn't the ultimate thing that you were trying to get by your discipleship. You were doing your discipleship as a means to another end. That's revealing what our hearts really worship. So that's the, the, the hard soil, the, the rocky soil. And then we come to a third group, which is the, the thorny soil. You have the unattentive listener, the superficial listener. And now we come to what you might call the divided listener, the distracted listener. And this third group is kind of more challenging than the other two because it's probably quite easy to pick out the first two groups. Oh, well, they're not really Christians. The sobering thing, the scary thing, is that this third group, for all intents and purposes, visibly, they appear as Christians. They do all the Christian stuff. They go through the suffering and they press on. But this is actually a third strategy that the devil uses, and it's, it's his most subtle strategy. It's the strategy of slowly strangling our faith 
by drawing our allegiance away from God. So this is a listener who really does listen. He tries to put things into practice. He's not careless like the hard soil. Um, he's not simply basing it on, on quick emotions like the, the, um, the superficial listener. He's putting real effort in, but this is the kind of listener whose attention is divided. And this is the test of the will. Test of the mind, test of the emotions, test of the will. We're commanded to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And strength, the, 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 the Jews understood strength to mean all of your will and actually all of your wealth as well. All of your resources was part of what that word strength meant. And this group is struggling with that. They're neither moving backwards. They're not falling away because they know too much. But neither are they growing. Neither are they moving forwards because they're worried about what they might leave behind. Jesus met people like this on the road that uh, someone ran up to him and said, uh, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, are you, are you sure? Anyone who follows me is heading towards Jerusalem. They're heading towards the cross, which means you have to leave your wealth. You have to leave your success and your family. And what it means is Jesus is leading you. And so these are the people that don't see growth. They're constantly doubting. They're having their faith drowned out by all the concerns and worries of life. And this is such a subtle tactic of the enemy because the first group was going through really visibly bad stuff. They're going through persecution. They're going through trials. It's the test of difficulty. But this is the test of comfort. This is the test of ease. That when you're through the trials and maybe you're becoming wealthy, maybe you've got lots of important things to worry about, whether your heart will begin to trust in your wealth rather than in God. He calls it the deceitfulness of wealth. Because wealth can control us. You don't just have to be rich for wealth to control you. You can be poor and be just as obsessed with money. Because the poor man obsessed with money is saying, Oh, if I only had money, everything would be sorted. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be good I'd be safe. And the rich man is saying, well, I'm glad I've got my money because without that, I'd have nothing. I don't know what I'd do. And so my security is in my money. But either way, it's deceiving because the money can never make us truly secure. The money can never produce that growth in us. And it's like Jesus said in the, in the second sermon in the series that we cannot have two masters. This, this divided allegiance a slave can't be commanded by two masters at the same time. It's one or the other. Because being a slave means total obedience, total allegiance. So that can't be shared. And Jesus says they'll be stuck between the two and they'll be choked out from going anywhere. And we can't be fooled. The weeds are extremely strong. They choke out all the nutrients and they don't allow the growth. That's why they're deceptive. And so... We come lastly, after all those strong, strong words, we come lastly to the good soil. Now this you might call the productive listener. The good soil, Jesus describes as the one who understands the word and receives it with an honest and good heart. Only the soil that bears fruit shows that it has truly understood the message. Only if we show fruit in our lives does it show that we've really 
captured the gospel. That's why Jesus says, the one who, who receives the word and understands it, if you truly understand it, you will show growth. And I thought about it like this, that you can see this kind of by analogy, that imagine you'd been told this incredible piece of news. Hey, Martin, you have inherited the biggest treasure in all of history. You are now the richest man in all of history. Congratulations. You're the richest person in all history. Okay? Now, if you simply don't pay attention, you clearly don't understand what's being offered. If you just simply say, ah, you clearly don't understand. No, 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 no. You are, you are being offered to be the richest person in all of history. If you don't pay attention, you clearly haven't understood. Um, but even if you get really excited initially, you're like, yeah. And then you realize, oh, but um, having all that wealth means I've got to manage it well. And oh, I just don't want the hassle of being rich. You know, Biggie said, more money, more problems, right? And so I don't want the problems of the money. Well, that shows you don't really understand it either. You don't understand the value of what's being offered to you. But neither do you understand the value. If you're told that, you say, yes, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm now the richest person in the world. And at the same time, you got a little side hustle over here, trying to earn a little bit more money on the side in your, in your, in your extra time. But hold on, what are you doing? You've already got everything. Why in the world would you work over here and try to earn a little bit more? You don't understand what you have. You only really have understood it when it becomes the center of your life. When you understand what you have, the responsibility that you have to steward that inheritance, and you make it the center of your life, investing it, making it grow, making it bless other people, that's when you only really have understood it. We have to give everything over to it. We have to get beyond just the intellect or just the emotions or just the will until our hearts can say, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. We might want to give the benefit of the doubt to the other three types of soil. They do show some response, right? The problem is, the scary thing is, so I'd like to think that those three other parts of soil are saved and that they really are Christians and that they're just not to their full extent, but the, I don't think Jesus leaves that option out. This is why this is really scary. This is why it's really sobering. Take care of how you listen because only the crop that bears fruit is useful to the farmer. And Jesus says in chapter 10, only he who endures will be saved. Only the one that reaches the end and there's fruit shows that he's really understood this. The soil provides the best opportunity for the seed to grow. And the marks of that soil are that it understands that it's fruitful, but even so, it's not equal. Even in the best of soil, some grows up to be 30 times the yield. Some grows up to be 60, some 100. And so it's not just as simple as saying, oh, well, he's clearly got a lot of fruit, but he doesn't have quite as much, so I don't know if he's in, or I don't know if I'm in, because I don't have as much fruit as him. The question is, do I have fruit? Do you have fruit? That's okay to have less fruit as long as we're bearing fruit. The soil doesn't worry about how much fruit it produces. The soil worries about being as productive as it can be, about being as good a soil as it can be. And so Jesus is saying, I, I spoke last week in, in Glasgow about the problem of hypocrisy. How can you tell a real Christian? And 
I think Jesus is saying, just as he says in lots of other places, that the only ultimate sign of a Christian, of a true Christian, is the fruit of that person's life. Jesus said, by your fruits, you shall know them. In what time in read in, in, in Matthew 7? By your fruits, you shall know them. Can a bad tree produce good fruit or a good tree produce bad fruit? But like I said, Jesus is not giving us this parable primarily as a way to judge other people. He's not giving you this as a set of criteria to be able to point the finger and say, oh, you're not producing fruit. You're not a Christian. Jesus is saying, you listen. For anyone that has ears, you hear for yourself and take care how you listen. The way that we're meant to receive this parable is to judge, is to help us judge what kind of soil we have. That we can be careful how we receive the word, how we listen. And the reason it's given is that to those who have, even more will be given to them and they will have an abundance. But to those who don't have, even the little that they do will be taken away from them. There's no sitting on the fence with this. There's no kind of being static. If a tree is alive, it's growing. Always. If it's not growing, it's not alive. That's the same of any living organism. And so this is bringing it back home to us. What kind of soil are we listening to this word? Are we hard soil, not allowing the word to affect us, disdaining it? Are we rocky soil, looking for quick and easy results, but abandoning it when the going gets tough? Are we soil that will hold back some of our strength, some of our effort, because we were interested in getting other stuff? And so I don't want to leave you there. I want to think about what can we do? What can we do if we're in these groups? And I think that as every Christian examines their life, they'll see these things present in their life at different points. And I think you can even, uh, you know, good soil can, can, can get contaminated and you've got to weed it again. You've got to pluck out the stones again. And so what can we do? Because Jesus says, if you have an ear, pay attention. So he's saying, look, this can change. Any type of soil can be improved. But how? Well, I think there's, there's two sides to it. There's our side, which is that we have the responsibility of how we listen. We have a part to play in preparing the ground of our heart for that seed. So the first thing we can do is to pray for that good and honest heart that receives the word and understands it. Now, we know in the rest of the Bible that the ability to understand spiritual things and have faith, that's a gift. God says that is a gift. He says to the disciples, it's been given to you to understand these things and not to them. So it's a gift. We can't manufacture it. But because it's a gift, we can ask for it. We can pray for it. Lord, I know my heart is not good and honest right now. I recognize the kind of soil that I'm providing for you. Give me that heart. Give me that heart. We can seek it. We can pray for it. We can also do everything within our power to prepare the soil. One of the things is meditating on God's word. Now, I'm thinking, even just practically, of what you can do before you go to church. What you can do to prepare yourself for the receiving of God's message. So this is one thing. Meditate on God's word. Spend time. This is, this is why it's valuable spending time every day, even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, thinking about 
God's truth, reading his word, because we need to develop that appetite in us. A lot of times our appetites need to be retrained. If you give a kid a piece of broccoli versus a Snickers, the broccoli doesn't taste as good. A lot of kids don't like it. Or spinach, you know, pick, pick your thing. Actually, the spinach or the broccoli is much better for us. It's just that our, our taste buds are so used to junk that the stuff that's actually nutritional doesn't taste good. And, so, and I know a lot of you can relate to that. We need to retrain it. We just don't have a taste for that yet, but we can develop it. The way that you do that, now I, I learned this a while ago doing the, the whole Daniel fast thing. Uh, at first it was like, oh gosh, it's going to be horrible just eating vegetables all the time. You know, <sighs> I'm going to miss this and that and the other thing. And over time, those other things that I first craved so much, they, when, I, when I then tried them again, it was like, oh gosh, this is horrible. How could I ever think that was nice? <laughs> and so there's some things I don't even eat anymore. But it's about training ourselves eat the food that, that really sustains us. And so we can, we can spend time doing that, meditating on that. The other thing that we can do is look after our bodies, rest well. Because when you're tired, it's much easier to get distracted. It's harder to concentrate. And so it, it's even just as simple as that. Eat a good meal and rest, and you'll find that your, your biology helps you to concentrate a little bit. Now, this, you know, that is, that's a major pointer at me because I find it hard to be disciplined to go to bed at the right time. <laughs> it's much easier to, you know, just stay up late for me. But it means that when I get up in the morning, you know, I'm falling asleep when I'm reading the Bible, for instance. And so that's something, that's a way that we can prepare just the physical soil of our hearts. Another thing that we can do that Jesus actually commands is sort your beef out before you come to church. If you've got a problem with so-and-so in the next room, sort it out with them before you come and worship. Because there's nothing worse than coming to church angry or annoyed or upset. I don't know about you, but I cannot concentrate on anything good when I'm upset at somebody. So I need to humble myself and go and speak to them and try and sort it out before I come and worship. Otherwise, I'm not, I'm not ready to receive that. Now, Jesus actually commands that before you go and offer your sacrifice at the temple, go, if you remember that you've hurt somebody, go and make it right with them and then come back and worship. Another thing that we can do is come expecting to learn. Now, when I think about my studies, going to university and all that stuff, it made a world of difference if I, instead of just turning up at class, just showing up and be like, teach me. It made a world of difference if I thought, okay, what's today's topic going to be? Oh, the kingdom of God. Oh, well, let me go, or Matthew. Let me go read the book of Matthew. And I come having done a little bit of preparation beforehand. So now it's almost like I've got, I've got a grid in my mind that when the message comes out or, or you know, keep with the metaphor, I've plowed my mind beforehand, and now there's a channel that the seed can go into. So it makes a world of difference coming, expecting to learn versus just let it wash over me. That's, I mean, that's even such things as, as beforehand. Also during, 
thinking through it, asking questions, seeing if the speaker answers them, writing questions down. All of those things are uh, the heart, or, and some of those are skills. They don't come just like that. You have to build those things. Uh, so start small. But it's starting with an expectation of, God, I'm coming ready to learn. I want you to speak. I know you're going to speak. Let me learn. And so it's about active participation. Another thing is during the, 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 the musical worship, engage your mind in what you're singing. Don't only sing it, but stop as you're singing it. Think about, do I really mean that? God, I want, I want that to be where I'm at. I want that to be me. I want to see that you're beautiful. I want that to be the cry of my heart. And so I'm engaging my mind and my will and my emotions in my worship. And I'm not just a passive vessel. But the final thing is, so I've, I've laid out, I think, seven things there that I, we can do practically to prepare the soil. But ultimately, if you stick with the metaphor, the soil can't change itself. Ultimately, only the farmer can change the soil. And so for all our effort, ultimately, we need to rely on the work of Jesus. All of our preparation, that's not the finished work. All of our preparation is getting ourselves ready so that he can change us. It's getting myself in the state where he can do the maximum effect in me. Jesus has to change the soil. Without plowing us up, the truth is we're all that beaten path, that hard and tough soil that cannot receive the seed. That's what we are without him. And so we need to allow ourselves to be plowed up. And if you're sitting there now, and hearing this and saying, yeah, God, I want that. That is a sign of him at work in you already. That doesn't come from us. Our natural heart does not want to be plowed up. We're very safe and comfortable as we are. Thank you very much. So if you want that, then God's already working in you. If that desire is in you, the seed is trying to take root. Pray for Jesus to change the soil of your heart. Let's come to him as our teacher with an honest and good heart, willing to listen, willing to learn from him because only Jesus can change us. And you know, when you look at those four different types of soil, the hard soil, the path, well, Jesus walked the hard path to the cross and he actually plowed the hard path as the cross was dragging behind him. Jesus broke up the rocky soil. Jesus was crucified on a place called Golgotha, the rock, the skull. Jesus went to the rocky soil and removed the stone at his resurrection. Jesus went to the thorny soil and he put the thorns into his own scalp. And all those concerns, all those anxieties that choke our growth, Jesus says, don't worry because I'm there with you. Jesus gave up his own true riches, true treasure, so that we could have it in him. And so may that be our prayer today, that as we do our utmost to prepare our hearts and be careful how we listen, because how we listen and receive the soil makes all the difference in the world. Let's pray that Jesus would plow up that soil of our hearts and give us the seedbed that he could produce a hundredfold in our lives.